I'm going to get out your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 15. That's where we'll be studying from this morning. So good to be here with you and, and to hear you all singing out. It's a little chilly outside. Uh, there's a lot of sickness going around, but we have a lot of, a lot of people here this morning. And I appreciate your presence. Uh, those visiting especially appreciate your presence. Uh, sometimes we have a vision in our minds of the way that life is supposed to be. Um, if you're a husband, maybe in your mind life is supposed to be, I, I go to work and I come home and I come home to a nice home-cooked meal uh, that's, that's fresh out of the oven, ready for me, the door opens for me, uh, my children, you know, take my shoes off, rub my feet, uh, you know, life, life is good, every, every, they're, they're obedient, they're respectful and submissive and Man, it's a, just a wonderful, wonderful vision of life, right? Um, if you're a wife, maybe the vision is more like this, expecting uh, you know, the husband to come home from working and to take over, uh, to, to do the cooking, to do the cleaning, to do the uh, care of the children and, and to raise the children up and, 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 and help the children to be obedient and, and respectful and so that they rise and they call their mother blessed and they, they take care of cleaning up after themselves and all their messes are, are, are immediately removed as soon as they make them. Uh, you know, these kind of ideas about, visions about what the ideal life would be for us. We have those. Uh, I'm sure we do. Uh, but we also have this ideal kind of vision of the church and what the church should be like and how people ought to live and, and act and uh, maybe worship uh, and, and we have some expectations that we, we have for the people who we, we come to church services with. And uh, we don't expect them to talk a certain way or to act a certain way. We expect them to be nice and gentle and cordial and loving and, and respectful and to do all the right things all the time and, and, and to agree with us on all our opinions and, and to make sure that they, they build us up and tell us all the things that we want to hear, uh, things like that. We might have those kind of visions uh, for our church family, but... One thing that we don't understand a lot of times in those visions is we're expecting someone else to do a whole lot of work to make our lives perfect and our lives better. Uh, and that's, that's something that we miss out, husbands, as we're, we're expecting all these things from our wives. Wives, as we're expecting all these things from our husbands. And, and as church members, we're, we're missing out on how much work it takes to create the culture and the, the, uh, the relationships and the will and the desire from the church members, how much work it takes in order to bring all of that about. Uh, we, really, we really have these ideals in our, our mind, but we fail to sometimes understand we're expecting other people to do stuff, and we're, we're not really thinking about the work that we would have to do to meet other people's expectations. Uh, and sometimes those expectations are just not good expectations. Sometimes that vision we have is not really a good vision. Uh, you know, who's to say that I'm right about all of my opinions and I, I should expect everyone else to agree with me and believe all the same things that I do? And if I were to go and, and to place that upon the church, that the church has to agree and, and uh, observe all of my opinions and do everything the way that I think it should do, then that's not going to go over well. There's going to be some divisions that happen. There's going to be some angry, some hurt feelings about that. Uh, and that's exactly what we're going to be studying about happening in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 15. Uh, we're going to learn about uh, an, an issue that pops up that seems to be a recurring issue that pops up in the New Testament among the Jewish brethren uh, as they're trying to learn how to accept 
Gentile brethren uh, who have different uh, ideas and understandings about how things ought to be. Uh, so if, you, if you're there with me in Acts 15, let's read verse 1. It says, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the customs of Moses, you cannot be saved. <clears throat> so just in the first verse, <clears throat> excuse me, notice what's being said. Uh, basically, as they come up into Antioch, which is a Gentile church, uh, mostly gen a lot of Gentiles, that has done a lot we've seen throughout Acts up until this point. These Gentile Christians have been promoting the gospel in other places. They supported Paul, on these mission Paul and Barnabas on a missionary journey to go to other places and spread the gospel elsewhere. They've also given money to help in a famine in Judea in that area. They've done a lot to serve God and to be faithful to God. And then they have these men who come in from Judea and they say... None of these Gentiles are saved. Ooh. Can you imagine? Can you imagine hearing this news? After all that you've done to serve God, believing that you were saved because of what Jesus has done for you, to hear these brethren come in and say, actually, no. They've not yet done what they are supposed to do. They've not yet been circumcised and, and, and followed after the customs of Moses. Even though they've done all these wonderful things, there's something that they're lacking, and they're not yet in a saved condition. So essentially everything that they've done in this point that has shown that they love God and that they're transformed, none of that counted because they hadn't been circumcised. I kind of wonder how these guys acted as they were relaying all of this information. I kind of wonder if they were very gentle and humble as they say these things. I kind of wonder if they were, you know, kind of proud about the knowledge that they had and the understanding and how they were circumcised and how they had kept the law and they knew all these things. I kind of wonder how they projected themselves as they came into that church building and basically said, no, you're not saved. That's just so disheartening. But, you know... Did they ever think, well, if this isn't true, then we're probably hurting people more than we're helping people. And ultimately, what we see in verse 2 is it's not true. This was the distortion of the gospel. Notice in verse 2, after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent out on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in details the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. Notice there's, a, there's no small dissension and debate. That's fascinating. Paul and Barnabas stand up to these guys and say, uh-uh, no way. You're going to tell me that they're not saved? No way that they're not saved. And, and this is fascinating that you see this dissension and debate because you don't see that, right? I mean, that doesn't typically happen throughout the book of Acts. And, and I just kind of wonder as I'm reading this, how did that go? You know, what did Paul say? What did Barnabas say? We open up Galatians, we can kind of get the sense of the kinds of 
teachings that Paul had for those brethren in, in Galatia. Uh, they were teaching the same kind of things. You must be circumcised in order to be saved. You must keep the law of Moses in order to be saved. Uh, but how did, they, how did they reveal that to them? Have you ever been in an argument with anybody? Have you ever disagreed with somebody? Debated with somebody? Had a, had a completely different opinion than somebody? How easy is it for you to keep the fruit of the Spirit when you're having a debate? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's hard. That's hard to do. Uh, and, and as we read this, we see that they're disagreeing with these men. I wonder, I would have loved to have just sat in that, in that congregation as it would have been so awkward as he says, you're not saved. And be like, ooh, you know, you could probably hear a pin drop. And then you see Paul get up. And I imagine he very respectfully and kindly said, that's not true. You are saved because of the blood of Jesus and the sacrifice that he's given. You are saved. Your salvation has nothing to do with, with circumcision or any of these things. Imagine he just kindly and gently walked through all of that, but completely disagreed with these teachers. But as you read Galatians, he says, You foolish Galatians! Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus was publicly displayed as crucified. He says these kind of strong statements to try to, to openly go against those who had taught such a false teaching. Notice he says, no small dissension or debate. He's fighting against this. This is not acceptable teaching and behavior. He has, he's, he's destroying faith. He's not building up faith. And so... Paul and Barnabas withstand these teachers. And then the church decides, let's send them back to Jerusalem with these men who have come to help everybody come to a greater knowledge and understanding of what the truth is. A very wise decision, I think, by the church there. Uh, because the problem came out of Judea, and so they're going back to Judea, they're going back to Jerusalem to help under everyone understand what is the true gospel. Is it that... Gentiles uh, have to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. Is that part of the gospel? And so they go back to Jerusalem. And on their way, we read right there in verse 3 that uh, they're, they're letting the brethren know about how the Gentiles had been converted and everybody's rejoicing. And you can see Paul and Barnabas, they know what the truth is. The whole time they're going, they're telling everybody, God has been saving Gentiles like crazy and getting everybody excited and encouraged about the truth of what's been going on. But then they come into Jerusalem. And verse 4 says, When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after, after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. 
And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. Notice here the church and the apostles welcome Paul. They welcome Barnabas. They know these men. They've been down to Jerusalem before we read earlier in Acts. And then some believers come up and notice it says they belong to the party of the Pharisees. Did you know that some of those Pharisees that we read about all throughout the Gospels who were constantly fighting against Jesus, some of them had repented and turned to Christ and submitted to him and become a part of the church. Even they were welcomed into the church. How wonderful is that? Even the greatest enemies of of Christ were welcomed into the church. But here we see that they have a misunderstanding that was prevalent even before. That salvation is not necessarily about doing a bunch of religious acts in order to be, be loved by God, but that there's a desire that, that they have to, to do all those things, that we just do all these religious acts and God will love us. But that's not true. Yet they say it's necessary that we have them circumcised, we order them to be circumcised, and we order them to keep the law of Moses. But that's all they say. As you look at their argument that Luke gives us, the extent of it is it's necessary that we order them to be circumcised And to keep the law of Moses, they give no scriptural backing, no revelation, inspiration from God, no new information that God has given to them. They just state their opinion as though it is fact. And then there's a debate, and Peter steps up and says, You know, God chose me to go to these Gentiles at first, And God bore witness to their conversion. The Holy Spirit fell on them. They spoke in tongues. God showed us that they were acceptable. And God made no distinction about circumcision or about keeping the law of Moses. God didn't go on and on about, okay, now you need to tell them to do this and teach them to do that. No, they were were saved. As they entered into the waters of baptism, just like all of us, and they received the sacrifice, just like all of us, and they came up out of those waters, and they were made new. They were just like all of us. He says, why are you putting God to the test? God has shown us clearly what it is in Scripture. Why do you not believe it? Why are you adding to it? Why are you testing God and and saying that there's more to what God wants from us than what he has shown to us? You're reading more into what God wants than he has revealed. And you're placing a yoke on their necks that we ourselves cannot bear. It's not very loving, is it? To be uh, under a yoke that's too heavy for you, that's crushing you and making it to where you can't hardly move or do anything. And then you see somebody else over there and they've got this yoke and they're walking around and they're, they're enjoying life and you're saying, that's not fair. You should have to do this too. Peter calls them out for it. That's what they're doing. And then he says, 
The truth is, they're not saved if they keep that yoke, if they, they bear that yoke and they live their lives under the weight of the law. But they are going to be saved just like we are going to be saved by the grace of God. Carrying this yoke does not result in our salvation. The grace of God is what ultimately provides us with salvation. And Peter wants to make that very clear. If you continue reading, you learn that James, the brother of Jesus, is also there in Jerusalem. And he offers up a lot of uh, scriptural backing for everything that's been said. He points to Amos. Amos is a book full of judgment. In the last chapter at the end, he, he, he tells us about the salvation that God is going to give. And it mentions the Gentiles. Notice verse 16. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. The picture of the Gentiles also will be uh, seeking the Lord. They will be added into this kingdom. uh, And there's no description about a a transition from Gentile to Jew It's just they're Gentiles, they're seeking the Lord, and they're added in. And so, with all of that being said, it becomes very clear, these men are wrong. They've distorted the gospel by adding their own opinions, attempting to place a great burden on Gentile brethren, because they have a burden that they don't like bearing. So their vision for the church is that everyone in the church should have this burden and be carrying it around all the time that they themselves cannot lift. Is that a good vision for the church to have? No, of course not. Uh, And and we can see how that's not very loving or or caring about those Gentile brethren who have not been shown uh, to, to need to do that. And yet, maybe in them was some fear that they're not saved because they're not doing all of these things. They're living an ungodly life, and that's not That's not true. But he doesn't just leave us there. It actually tells us that the men uh, who had had come to Jerusalem were sent out with instructions. And the instructions were essentially at first saying, don't listen to those guys. They've troubled you. Uh, they've, They've messed with you. They're not true. Don't listen to any of them. But he does want to set the record straight. Let's look at verse 22 through 29. It says, Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds... Although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by the word of mouth, for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements." that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself, 
yourselves from these things, you will do well. Farewell. Notice he, first of all, they set the record straight. God has not inspired these men to say any of these things. They had no right to say what they said. They were not inspired to say those things. Now, that's fascinating. Why would someone speak without inspiration, without understanding? Well, there's a lot of pride in that, you know, a lot of arrogance, thinking I know everything and all that. But they have been shamed, essentially, by the apostles, saying they don't know what they're talking about. Don't listen to them. But then he goes on to give them instruction. He gives them direction. These are the things you need to be focusing on, Gentiles. Not the law of Moses, not circumcision. Those things have nothing to do with you. You're not under that covenant. You're under the covenant of Christ. So these things are the things you need to focus on. Abstain from food offered to idols. And, and abstain from things that still have the blood in them. And abstain from things that have been strangled because that would still have the blood in them. And abstain from sexual immorality. And we look at this list. And as Gentiles, we think, okay, I got all of that. You know, no problem. Maybe, maybe until we get to the fourth one and we're like, oh, wait a second. What does that one mean? Food offered to idols. Well, don't have to worry about that. Blood, strangled animals. I mean, maybe raw steak. I don't know. I don't, I don't think that's necessarily what it's talking about. But maybe there's something about that. But for, for the most part, we look at that and we're like, okay, great. That's, that's an easy checklist. We can just check all those things off. But I don't think that's what he's trying to do. I don't think this is about giving him a checklist of, as long as you keep these four things, then you're in the, you're in the clear. But why does he give these four things? What is he getting at? What is he trying to say? Well, do you see how these four things are abominable? And, and, and they are things that the culture around them has widely accepted as okay and, and as a good thing to practice. Everyone around them is eating food offered to idols and going to the idol temple and, and eating things with blood and, and strangled. Everyone around them is engaged in sexual morality, and he's trying to help them understand your, your, your major weight in life, Gentiles in Antioch and Cilicia and uh, uh, Syria, your main objective in life is to not be like them, to not accept the things that they accept, to not say that the, the way of this world is okay and, and it's godly and it's fine because I'm forgiven through Jesus, but to say, I'm not going to do any of these things. Because it's not okay. It's not just a problem that the Jews have. It, it's an indication that I don't revere God. And I'm not living a life that is seeking to shine a light for God's glory. I'm being like everyone else engaged in the same kind of deplorable acts that they're engaged in. And so this letter is intended to direct these believers on what really is important for them. It's not the law of Moses. It's not being a part of this world not living for this world, not engaged as, as we think about all of these things, we think about the world around us, not engaged in the things that they consider to be okay. That sexual immorality should just stand out to us. The world around us is openly praising sexual immorality. Homosexuality, transgenderism is going nuts right now. We've got a lot of people who have even just forgotten about the idea that sex before marriage is wrong. It's sexual immorality, fornication, sex before marriage, wrong. 
Pornography is at an all-time high. Sexual morality is in pornography. That's, that's what that is. So all of that is wrong. All of that is evil. And the world around us looks at all that and they say, yes, that's no problem. They'll openly confess it and tell everybody that they're doing it as though it's no big deal and it's something that's normal and it's something that's good. And you see in this a call for us to abstain, to separate ourselves from all of these things. That is the direction that, that the apostles give the believers. That is the focus of their lives, to be godly in, a, in an ungodly society, ungodly culture. So as we're looking at this text as a whole, I hope you see, first of all, the gospel is worthy of defending. We have to be willing to stand up when someone comes up and says something that is opposed to the gospel. Someone stands up and says, you're not saved because you don't do blah, blah, blah. And it has nothing to do with what the scriptures have actually revealed. We need to handle that. You know, in my attempt to keep the fruit of the Spirit, I may not want to argue with people because I know I'll fly off the handle and I'll be ungentle, be harsh and critical and, and judgmental and all that. But I have to be willing to stand up whenever the gospel is being distorted. I have to be willing to say the truth and help people understand what's really happening, especially if there are souls that are being discouraged or being told that they're not saved whenever they in fact are saved because they are loving God and, and focused on serving God and they have been, uh, they've been sanctified, they've been made holy, they've been washed in the blood, they've been washed in, in the waters of baptism. They are in a safe condition. They're, they're striving to serve God. I should stand up for them and say what the truth is. We're not saved because we do all these things. Things. we're saved because God has loved us and maybe someone's falling short and we need to encourage them in that maybe they're not in a saved state because they've fallen away and we need to encourage them in that but I know some some may be uh, more proud and kind of a bully or something like that and if that's what you've experienced please understand the gospel is not that we do all the right things therefore God loves us but that God has loved us enough to give himself, his son for us to be saved. We see that adding requirements distracts us from true worship and the, the mission that we're in. Notice this huge distraction that's been brought upon the church. They should be on their next missionary journey. Instead, they're going down to Jerusalem to just take care of this stuff. If men would not have... Uh, thought that they were inspired, that they knew what the truth was, then we could have, they could have avoided all of this. And as you look at this, notice that the false teachers didn't go to God's word. They just spoke. It's necessary to do all these things. It makes sense to us logically to do all these things. But those who were right looked at what God had revealed in the past, and they used it to prove that this is what God wants moving forward. Notice also they didn't ask for further revelation in this. They didn't go to God and say, God, uh, we're really not sure about this. No, they looked and they saw what God had stated and they, they didn't put God to the test. They said, okay, what God has stated is what is true and we're going to submit to that and believe that. It seems unfair to us as Jews that the Gentiles would not have to keep all these laws, but God, you've shown that you've accepted them without keeping all these laws and, and may your name be glorified in them as they walk around unburdened by the laws that we ourselves have to keep. And the main message to get across in this that I love so much is 
that God places no greater burden on us than abstaining from the culturally acceptable impurity that's all around us. Could have laid much greater weight on us. We see much greater weight put on the Jews, but not on us. We are here to abstain from the sinfulness of the world, and that is a major focus for us to live godly, sanctified, holy, righteous lives before God. That's what he calls for us to do. To remove the idols, to remove the sexual morality, to remove the the worldliness from us is enough. Enough for us to be burdened with. God's vision for all of us has to become our vision. We talked at at the beginning that we all have a vision for how we think things ought to be and And we may not like each other's visions, and so there might be fighting and stuff like that. But do you realize God has a vision for us as the body of Christ? He has a purpose, a design in place that we would be to the praise of his glory. That we would be holy and righteous and pure and good and do all the things that this world does not do. And abstain from all the things that this world does. God has that desire for all of us. So we need to think about how we can become holy and pure and separated from the influence of the culture that's around us. I like Ephesians 4 to help me with this, which tells us that we need a renewed heart and a renewed mind. Ephesians 4 verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corruptible through the deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You want to put off the world, it starts with the mind. Not having this mind that's focused on meaningless activity. Idols. Things that satisfy us temporarily. People around us are focused on that. They're ignorant, he says. They're, They're darkened in their understanding. They do not see, they do not understand what we as Christians understand and see. And we cannot be like them. We cannot walk as they walk. That is not the way we learned Christ. Christ did not live that way. And we are called to follow in his footsteps. To have a renewed mind that belongs to the new body that was given to us as we were resurrected out of the waters of baptism. We're called to put that mind on daily. To hold every thought captive in obedience and submission to Christ. We see that's exactly what we have been called to do in this very text, to glorify God. 
We're not here to make up rules or to force people to do things that are our opinions. We're here to glorify God because of what he's done for us. We do not believe that we will be saved because of how pure and holy and righteous we become. But we believe that we will be saved purely by the grace that God has showered upon us, that we have received. And now we desire to live for him and not for this world. If you're here this morning and you've not been living for Christ, we want to help you and encourage you to to put him first in your life, to put away this world. This world will never give you what you desire. But God offers to you the greatest of treasures. When this life is over, he offers to all of us an eternal home where we get to live in relationship with him. It's up to you to make the choice to submit to him and to live for him. And if there's anything that we can do to help you in that choice, will you please come and let us know as we stand and as we sing.